Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host, Valerie, and sometime co-host, Miss Purrington, and Mookie, our newest co-host. ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy. You can keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at Comedy Wham or on our Comedy Wham Facebook page. In addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, our advice column, Rochelle Takes on Comedy, and we've also got a festivals page and our recently wrapped up FPIA 2022 page where you can see the, the results along the way and the final results of the contest. And of course, we're best known for our events page for live shows in Austin, Houston, and DFW. If you're a comic in those cities and want your show featured on the calendar, go to the events page and click Submit a Show to complete the short survey. Tag us on your Instagram stories or posts and we'll share your show promo. Looking for ways to support all these resources we provide? You can donate to Comedy Wham on PayPal, Venmo, or even Patreon. Search for Comedy Wham on Patreon and check out our subscriber perks. Now let's get back to our podcast. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations and will usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the Austin comedy scene one of the best in the country. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us. Today, I am talking to the co-host of Lonely Man's podcast. Uh, I hear that sometimes uh, they have not hit the record button uh, either on their, their episodes. You know, Ooh. not that I would ever do that as a <laughs> podcasting professional of six years. Uh, but back to our guest. Uh, he's been on the Big Pine Comedy Festival. He is originally from Africa, grew up in Colorado, started comedy in Boston, and is now based in Austin. And this is a true fact. When I saw him perform for the very first time, it was at a show at the Creek in the Cave uh, earlier this year. My son was with me, and he was adamant that I interview our guest because uh, he found him so hilarious and interesting, and I did too. His backstory is really, really cool. Uh, and now Comedy Wham presents our guest, Ben Basunga. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. It feels like I've been here before. It a very deja vu so moment. So deja vu, Bob. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is wild to me when I walked in and you called me Bob. Like, my name gets butchered all the time, but it's never, never my first name. No yeah. one's ever like, Ben, well, I don't know where this is that from, you know? First for everything. If, if anything, yeah. that will make this comedy wham uh, experience memorable for you. <laughs> oh, that girl? Yeah, she called me Bob. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, well, let's see. The last time we were talking, but not recording we were talking about the french and how we have that in common yes and, we uh, I, I do speak a i understand french much better than i speak it like i used to speak it fluently but then you come down to texas and people are like uh french those are fries right like yeah. they don't know <laughs> nobody speaks it so it's been yeah. a while since i had to use it and that muscle has atrophied yeah. to to terrible extents my mother would be ashamed right now she would she would just be shaking her head in disappointment at my french but yeah i don't i don't like to tell people because i don't want anyone to challenge me on yeah. it you know like when someone says they're a sports fan and they're like name five nba players they're like uh. so i don't want to i don't want to be like i speak french they're like speak french i'm like uh. so i just but i do understand it and if i think about it quite a bit i can yeah. manage in french so. yeah well i i won't force you to to do the the rest of the interview <laughs> merci in beaucoup there it is <laughs> yeah, yeah. i I mean, I, my French is like, it is because I left when I was seven. Uh, that is that is the level of my French. Like, it's very kindergarten, first grade level. It's not, no advanced vocabulary, but I can ask where's the restroom. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> How have you maintained it? Like, do you still speak it to certain family members or people that you talked to back in Belgium? Like, um, It really was that when we moved over here, my mom and dad spoke it at home, mm -hmm. so I kept it up that way. And then every other summer, I would be sent back to Belgium to stay with my grandmother. So uh, I immersion every every other oh. summer. Okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah. we didn't do that. Uh, yeah. Congo is not the place you just go back to. <laughs> no, it's just like, yeah, we're gonna vacation yeah. in the Congo. Like that's not. <laughs> I don't know if anyone knows anything yeah. about the Congo. Apparently, according to comedy, it's so funny because I was out in Scotland recently and I was doing the Fringe Festival 
and I do a bit about being from Africa and Congo, and like I always, and I do the same bit here in the states. And I always ask people if they can find the Congo on a map. And in Scotland, everyone would be like, "Yeah, we we all know where the Congo is. We're like yeah. we we know how we know geography. We know this." Everyone in the states is like, uh, "Congo, that's like the drums, right?" Like they have no idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I say DRC, and they're like the Dominican Republic. I'm oh like, "Yes, gosh. yes, you're the problem. You are the problem." So yeah, no one here knows anything about the Congo. So yeah. well, you know, in in Texas, we're ranked like 46th in the nation. So. I mean, we probably can't find Africa. On, like, <laughs> like, <global> Africa so. <laughs> right. This, Africa, is that a type of food? Like, yeah, yeah they just... <laughs> It makes it's not even just Texas. Even in Boston, that's supposed to be like an educated oh, yeah. state. Yeah, you know, and there's always like one person. Even in Colorado, everywhere I go in America, they're just like Congo, Congo. <laughs> I heard of that one time. There's a movie about that, oh, right? Like, yeah, that's the extent of. <laughs> and now the kids don't even know that movie, so no one knows. <laughs> it's perfect. Well, welcome to to a geopolitical talk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's let's uh, break the ice formally for the. Second time. This is about where we, we, I realized we weren't recording, so everything else will be fresh conversation. Uh, ben, tell me one word to describe your past. If I had to describe my past in one word, uh, I'd probably say adventurous or maybe mischievous. I, yeah, kind of. I was kind of a wild child in the sense that I just always wanted to try new things mm-hmm. and I was just always kind of wandering anywhere, any trip, anything that would get me in trouble, anything that I wasn't supposed to be doing. <laughs> I was like, yeah, so I'd probably say one of those two words. Yeah. Oh, man, it, it, your uh, world travels are so fascinating to me that it's going to be really difficult for me to kind of focus us on comedy and not go into like all of the world travels that, well, that I think you've they had. go hand in hand you yeah. know I think like because I didn't start comedy till I was 27 so oh. I was a little bit later than like most of the young comics now which kind of put me in a different place I kind of had experienced a lot more than like comics when they started like 19 20 or yeah. 23 even um so I think the traveling kind of it, it put it in perspective what I kind of wanted to do because I never really, I wasn't one of those people that's like, I want to be a musician or I want to be a businessman, whatever. I was just kind of like, yeah, life is pretty cool. I'm just going to kind of experience everything. Yeah. And so when I graduated college, I wanted to, I was like, I'm going to go move to a beach in South America and just live that life. And my parents were like, you should probably get a job, Benjamin. You know, like <laughs> my mom was like, Benjamin, get a job. Do not, do not play around like this. You know, so then... I did the job thing for like two years, and I was like, man, I should have went to that beach in South America. (laughs) But so then after that, I was probably around like 25 or so, and I tried a couple of open mics right when I graduated college. Like I did open mics for a couple of months before I started working in corporate America, and I was terrible, Mm. like absolutely terrible. Like I would, so nervous, I would be like sweating through my shirts, and I'd get up there and like fumble the mic, and I'd be like, so then I was like, maybe I should drink. And I'm a terrible drinker. I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. So then I would be like way too drunk and I couldn't remember my jokes. I close my eyes on stage and try to remember. So I'm just like, oh, uh, gosh. just like wobbling on stage. So it was not good. So then, uh, so I didn't do it. So that was like a couple months. I probably went to like maybe like five open mics in like three months or whatever. And so after that, I was like, all right. So I went into corporate America. So then after. Well, what, I, what was it that got you to that first open mic? You know, I've I've uh, nothing to do. That is the thing. It's twenty two, nothing to do. But I always watched comedy as a kid. So like yeah. me and my my brothers like introduced me to comedy, and we used to watch like old school Def Jam comedy. So it was like back then it was like Bernie Mac, Chris Tucker was on there, uh, Dave Chappelle was on there, Ronald Hamburger Jones, like the original king of comedy, like with uh, Steve Harvey, D. L. Hughley, uh, Bernie Mac, and Cedric the Entertainer. Um, and then my favorite comedy specials, though, when I was a kid was we used to watch Eddie Murphy delirious. And I've seen Eddie Murphy delirious. Like I can name like I could go like word for word the whole special, yeah. like all the jokes. So it was like <laughs> that special. And then when the time I was like 10 or 11, I really got into Dave Chappelle's first special, killing him softly. And then the Chappelle show and then a the second special for what it's worth. I was like, this is everything. So then. I'd always watched it, and as I grow up and like watch more comedy, I was like, I could do that. Mm. It could be really cool to do that. And then afterwards, I had some time. I was like, Yeah, let me try to do it. And 
And I was like, oh, I can't do this. This <laughs> was in Boston. No, this was in Colorado. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so then, uh, so this was in Colorado. That's where I went to like high school. That's where I grew up. That's where I went to college as well, Colorado okay. State University. Go Rams. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so then this was after I graduated. I was like, I've always wanted to do comedy. I have some time. I'm over 21 now. I can get into some like bars and clubs or whatever. Yeah. So I went around Denver, try to find some open mics, and that's when I was like, oh. But then I got a corporate job, started working for like a couple years, and I was like, this sucks. <laughs> this really sucks. <laughs> and I couldn't do comedy because I was working so much, mm. and I'd work like 12-hour days. I was in like, Oof. yeah, you're working like these long days, and every other manager in the company was like over 30, and I'm over there like 23 pretending to be 28, just like being people's bosses, and I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm yeah. just like, this is miserable. Ugh. And then after that, I was like, "All right, I need to do something different." I worked at a TV studio uh, for the Colorado Rocky, uh, for the Colorado, for the Denver Nuggets and the Colorado Avalanche. Huh. So I did that for like a year. That was really cool because uh-huh. I got to see like the sports, got to go to the games, and like work in the studio and stuff. But yeah, that didn't go well either. Oh. You know, <laughs> turned out having a boss isn't really my thing. Ah, okay. I was gonna ask you. So what? What was the, you know. Yeah. The common thread. Right? Yeah, the common thread is uh, no one can... I'm terrible at letting people tell me what to do. I'm like the most <laughs> stubborn. <laughs> you can't tell me anything. Like, not my parents, not my teachers, nobody. You can just one ear and out the other. If I don't think it came from my own brain. I'm like, you don't know anything. I know better. And then I'm like, ah, shit, they were right. Like, I can't... I just... I'm one of those people, like, I can't learn from other people's mistakes. I have to make that same mistake mm-hmm. seven times. And, like, time number 12, I'm like, I got yeah. this. Like, but so then... Yeah, so then after that, uh, I went to work on cruise ships for a while. Huh. So that was interesting. Um, doing, and I got... Doing what? So I did a combination of things on cruise ships, but I was working with kids. So I was always kind of did that in college and in high school. I'd work at, like, summer camps. I'd work at, like, basketball coaching for kids, worked at schools, um, just did all sorts of stuff like that. And then uh, on the ships, I worked in a kids center as well. And then I became, like, an indoor surf instructor. So I was just, like, indoor surfing, rock climbing while teaching people how to do that stuff. So that was about what I did there yeah. for a couple of years. And that was cool. We got to travel all around the island. So I went all over Central America, went to, like, pretty much, like, all the Caribbean islands have been out there. Bermuda, like, Costa Rica, all over Mexico. Like, just all, like, St. John, St. Martin, St. Thomas. Like, all those places I've been. Every beach is the same after a while, though. <laughs> yeah. It really is. Yeah. Except for Bermuda has the best beaches in the world. Like, in terms of, like, the physical beaches, just, like, how they look and, like, the sand, best beaches are in Bermuda. Hmm. So if you ever get a chance, they have these pink sand beaches that you go to. Oh, when you pretty. turn over, the sand is, like, turns, like, pink. And people would, like, bag them when we went out there. But, like, when you, it gets wet, it feels like you're walking on a foam mattress. Oh, yeah. So wow. they're just, and the views were beautiful. It was amazing. Went out there, just, like, swam with dolphins. Like, we just, we spent a lot of time out there. And then, um, did you already have the travel bug before this experience? I think I've always kind of had a little bit of a travel bug. We kind of traveled a little bit, like as a family growing up. Like we would go, like take road trips and stuff to the family. But I was from a really religious family, so most of our traveling was like for religious purpose, mm-hmm. on missionary trips and stuff like that. And then um, I kind of grew out of the religious phase very quickly for myself, but mm. my family didn't. They were still there. So that was kind of always like a <gasps> butting heads with my family. It was never, yeah, they didn't like that too much. Yeah. Um, so, and then I think I always kind of like, everyone in my family just kind of always moved. Like, we moved from Africa. So I was like, never felt like I was home, you know, kind of thing. I was always been like, yeah, but I'm still African. You know, my family is very African. We ate African food. Like, we did African things. And my sisters, they moved. Like, when they were, like, after college, they moved to Boston as well. So, they just, my family, so I always kind of just wanted to know, like, I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And then the cruise trip, the cruise line kind of helped me get started with that. And then afterwards, I just was like, oh, let me go everywhere. So, we went out to Europe. I lived out in Barcelona for a while. We were out there. Went to, like, a lot of the Mediterranean. Went to, like, 10 different countries out there. And so, ever since then, I've just been always kind of like, anytime I can take a trip or get out somewhere, I'm like, yeah, let's yeah. go. So, I've been doing that. And that was really cool for a while. And then um, working on the ships was cool. For I did that for about two years. And then I was like, okay, what's next? You know, and got fired from another job because I can't <laughs> listen to the people tell me what to do. I'm like, I'm three for three. I've been fired oh from my, my last three jobs. I'm, I think I know the title of this episode. Oh my god, I am. I just, I'm like, I'm terrible at working for other people. Like, I just, you can't tell me. I just, I can't. I'm just like, yeah, I, sh- I should do this. You're probably uh-huh. right, but I'm gonna do something completely different. Uh-huh. And then, so that point, I moved at to Boston, and that was like a, it was interesting, because I'd probably say it was like 
I was about 27 at that time, and that was probably like, in a weird way, it was like the roughest year of my life, but one of the most, um, like pivoting, like pivotal points in my life. Like you know, people say you got to like hit rock bottom at a certain point, and I think that 27 was like my rock bottom year. Like a week before my 27th birthday, I had gotten fired from a ship. Yeah, I think it was a setup. By the way, it's a setup, all right? I, I I believe it was a setup. So I'll tell you the story. You can tell me what happens, what your opinion is. So when you work on a cruise ship, they have crew members. They have bars for, like, everybody, and I can go drink at those bars. But okay. specifically just for, like, the people that work on the ship, they have separate bars. Like, on our ship, there was, like, three different separate bars just for the people that work on the ship. And then they would sell you like discounted alcohol, so you can get like a seven fifty or like for like ten bucks of like Great Goose or like whatever Jack Daniels, like all these crazy alcohols. You're paying like ten bucks for a bottle, <clears throat> but the legal limit on the ship was point zero two. Mind you, the legal legal driving limit in the United States is like point zero eight. So it means if you like drank a sip of alcohol and then you blew over the limit, you could just get sent home just like that, mm. which. I feel like that's a. Mm, it, it feels like they're setting you up with this, but uh, there was a, there was a one night we were partying. We were we were out on this uh, on uh, the, one of the crew bars, and uh, I worked with some people on the sports staff. We were like the surf instructors, and we always used to like mess with each other. It was, and uh, we had this new girl on our team, and she had come up and like squirted me with water, right? Like we were just playing. I was like, okay, so me. I'm like, all right, I see this. So what I did was took a big cup of water, and when she wasn't paying attention, I rolled up and just splashed her with this gigantic cup of water. But she was like around some other people, and uh, one of the other people, I don't, to this day, I've never met this person, but that other person got splashed with water, too, because it was a gigantic cup of water. I probably shouldn't, but, you know, it's reckless me. I'm like, ah, it'll be fine. I'll figure this out. And, uh, so she reported me to security. Oh, my God. And the first thing, what happens when you get reported, you get breathalyzed. Ah. Now, I'd already had some other strikes on my belt for just, like, sleeping through, like, 6 a.m. shifts and, like, just other silly things like that, showing uh-huh. up late to work. Just silly stuff like that. But they add up. Mm-hmm. And then they're, like, they breathalyzed me. And I blew, like, a point one. Like a point one or point one two, something like that. So it wasn't anything like a point four or anything crazy. Yeah. It was just like a point one or point one two, and then they just put you on grounds for automatic dismissal. So that was it, and I got sent home. Wow! Yeah, or a so, splash of water. You're right. Until this person, till this day, I've never met that funny. The funny, the irony though, is that like a month later, she got sent home for the same thing. The person that reported me got reported and got sent home. All my friends were like, "Yeah, she got sent home too." I was like. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Karma comes around like that. Yeah, so, yes. yeah, be careful, snitches. Yeah. <laughs> you know what they say. Yeah, they, exactly. They come after you, too. <laughs> yeah, so then I'm 27. I get sent home, and I pull. I'm, we were in like Mexico at the time. I get to Boston, and I landed at Logan Airport February 1st in Boston, wearing hoodies and a loafer, loafers with no socks. That's how, yeah, that's where my life was. If that puts it any, if you know anything about Boston, it was like negative 77 degrees and I can't feel any part of my body. And I'm like, what is life? (laughs) (coughs) And that, at this point, I haven't even started doing comedy like legitimately yet. And I was like, okay, what, what next? Like, I have no idea what's happening. And, uh, before you continue, can, mm -hmm. can you tell me? Given that you had done some mics when you were in Colorado and you're, right. you know, going through these, these uh, life experiences on the cruise ship, mm-hmm. is there a voice in the back of your head, or were you <clears throat> like, nah, this is new me? No, there, there was always that voice in the okay. head, like I want to get back to doing comedy. Okay. I think that was the one thing that, like, even I was on the ship, I was like, yeah, at some point I want to get back to doing comedy, and I'd see watch comics come on the ship and like yeah. watch that and be like, I can do that, and I'd talk to them and ask them questions and stuff. I was like, yeah, I want to get back into doing this. I think what that time frame did, it kind of gave me some life experience, but it also taught me what when I got back into it, what I wasn't going to do, mm. which was like, I'm not going to be drunk on stage. Like, I'm not going to go up there and just like, I'm going to figure some funny things out yeah. and try to like go back. And so I think those, that kind of helped me get a better perspective. But I think a part of me was just afraid. I was like, 
like to get on stage like because what ended up happening was like okay i want to get on stage right but i was like i just remember like how bad bombing and sucking feels like it sucked so so i get back there and i move in with my sister now my sister's got three kids and like a three-bedroom house or whatever four-bedroom house so everyone's got their own rooms and i'm like so i'm just sleeping on my sister's couch and and like my alarm every morning is my niece screaming because she doesn't want to wake up. Like at six a.m. every morning, and that's how I wake up every day. And I'm just like, I have no job. I got like twenty nine dollars in my bank account. I'm sleeping on this couch, and I'm just like, what is life right now? Yeah. My twenty seventh birthday, twenty seven. I'm like, Jimi Hendrix is out here writing fucking greatest songs becoming the greatest guitarist of all time and i'm sleeping on a couch waking up to my niece like this is this is not how i drew up life uh and so yeah so i was like okay there's got to be a better way so you know at that point things got even worse my car got repossessed like everything i'm just like now i'm just like sitting there like wow this is this is not this good. This is a sitcom. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is exactly, this is where it starts, you know? They're like, this. look at this guy, down on everything. And that was me at that yeah. point. But from that point, I was like, okay, well, we're already here. We got nothing else. So the only way is up from here. So I kind of started, okay. So I started reading books. I started listening to podcast speakers, figuring just something out about my life and myself. Um, and one of the things, like, okay, I want to get back into comedy. <clears throat> so I started driving into Boston, probably that may or whatever a couple months later so i'd go into boston and do an open mic like once a week or whatever um i'd take my sister's car i'd go down there and try to do like some open mics and like all right so i was like okay i'd show up there and i'd do some open mics every now and like once a week or whatever and then i it's probably like june or july i went out there and i did this open mic set and when i tell you i had i bombed like to the to the like the core of who I was as a person, just went up there and I just ate a dick, like just choked on one, just up there, just dying, slow deaths. Uh-huh. I'm sweating from my forehead. My voice is hot. I can't talk. I'm just. <laughs> I was like, I drove home. I'm like, I'm never doing that again. Aww. So this was probably like June or July or whatever. So I didn't do comedy for the next probably like three four months. I just I I just. I didn't want to see anyone, and I would just make excuses like, "Oh, you're gonna come by." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," I'd never show up, and then, and I'd be like, "I gotta do this." In reality, I was just terrified. I was just scared to feel that feeling again. Yeah. And uh, so this is probably October right now. This is like towards the end of 2017. It's October, and one of uh, my friends that were hosting this comedy festival or whatever, and they had like a bunch of different shows, and one of them was the open mic at this like bar room that like we always that we everyone had gone to in the town i was living in worcester massachusetts uh yeah shout out to brian o'donnell <laughs> and sean Connolly at nick's Con- at nick's it's great <laughs> this is like where it was like the, the home room you know so i went and brian saw me the guy that runs the show and he's like oh ben you're gonna go up and i was like i didn't want to tell him i was embarrassed i was like yeah yeah yeah, i'll go up he's like yeah i'll put you at the end of the list i was like yeah 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 and i'm like all right but i'm gonna leave before this goes up like there's no way i'm staying for this <laughs> There's no way. So, like, every comment comes up. I'm like, okay, they're on number, like, five. I'm like, cool, I'm number 15. I'm like, yeah, I'll leave at, like, seven. It just comes to seven. I'm like, all right, that's kind of funny. I'll stay. Next thing you know, it's coming up. And next thing you know, I'm next. I'm like, well, I can't just run out now. Yeah. Like, oh, man. I'm like, okay, it's going to be all right. Just go up there. You'll get through it. And then you can just leave and never come back. Like, you're not going to do this. And then I went up there, and it went all right. I was like, oh. Okay, well, if I could get through that, then I can do this thing. And then around the beginning of 2018, I probably did like a couple more mics that year. And then the beginning of 2018, me and my two friends, Jesse and Paul, that I do the podcast with, were like, yeah, you guys want to like try doing this comedy thing like seriously? And then that's kind of when it started for me. It was like the beginning of 2018. We were like, all right, let's start like going to open mics a couple times. We'll try to go like three times a week and try to go consistently. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, I've just been consistently doing comedy. So, What do you think happened that night where you, you <coughs> wanted to bail versus the time in May or June where you just thought you ate it so bad? What, what was the difference, do well, you think? I think there was, when I look back on it now, it's like that time I bombed. It wasn't even like a bad bomb. Mm. It's like I it was like there's probably like five people in a room at like ten PM in a basement in Boston, you know? Yeah. Like it's like there was nobody there and I was just talking to no one and I didn't understand 
like certain things about comedy like if there's very few people in a room you're essentially having conversations with these people now you're not like doing material to an audience you know and like and and i didn't know how to like do that at that time and so i look back and i was just very i was I, i i didn't know that versus that other time i was in a room with people that i knew i was very comfortable and the like the material could work you know mm-hmm. so it was just like a different aspect and i didn't have enough knowledge at the time to be able to separate the two and then you kind of get those ideas in your head you create like the bigger fears you take something small and you make it like this yeah. monster fear and it takes over your mind and then over time what like if i would have went up the next day and done something else i could have had that same experience but over time the longer you wait to, to, to face that fear, mm-hmm. it grows, you know? Now it's instead of being this molehill, now it's a mountain that I'm staring at that I can't overcome anymore. Yeah. So it was kind of that experience. But once I got through that, I was like, oh, I can handle bombing. Yeah. It's no problem. So so we started calling ourselves the doo-doo crew. Cause, <laughs> I cause, love it. Yeah, we would just go and throw doo-doo on a wall and hope it sticks, you know? So that's it. <laughs> so we'd just be going up like, oh, you're trying to be jokes? We're like, we got doo-doo, baby. <laughs> like, and it was just kind of like, it was just a different perspective on doing the same thing. So then it didn't matter if we bombed, you know? It was just like, oh, we're trying new stuff because yeah. we're new comics. Everything we do is new. So we're just throwing this on a wall and hoping it sticks and finding out and and kind of facing that and not being afraid to, to bomb or fail or have a bad set. And it just it was just a perspective change after that point. And that kind of helped just, cool, it's just now it's a process. Whether you bomb or you do well, you're just going to be back the next day. It's like a basketball game or a gym workout. Yeah. Like whether you score 30 points or you shoot 0 for 10, you play the next night. And it's just that same process yeah. of just repeating that. And I think kind of being looking at it from like an athlete perspective because I always grew up playing sports and like running track, playing basketball – once I started looking at it like a like a sport mentality in terms of like every open mic is just another practice. Some days I have good practices. Mm-hmm. Some days I have bad practices. Every set is like a game. Some days I have good games. Some days I have bad games. The idea is just to get to where I'm having more consistent good games than I am bad games. And if I have a bad game, I'm not going to stop playing basketball. It's not like I miss. I'm not going to be like, oh, I don't, can't play basketball anymore. I suck. Like, leave. It's like, oh. Man, this game sucked. Let's do better next game. Yeah. What went wrong? Was it my game was off? Did I not prepare properly? Was I missing shots? Is it because I can't dribble? Because I can't shoot? Like, is it because I don't know how to do crowd work and it was a small audience? Is it because my material's not funny? Is it because my delivery isn't good? Did I stumble over my words? Like, what was it? So it's kind of like that same thing. Once yeah, I was breaking able to dr- it down into the technical. Right. Once I was able to put that together, I was like, okay, so that's what this process is. And then it just kind of became a process. And then. It was just more. So we went from like three times a week and then by like to like five times a week to the next month. Now, the next year, by like 2019, I was doing like 340, 50 sets in a year. So it was like wow. almost every night. So it was just that process of just like, okay, now we just get the ball rolling and we just keep it going. But it helped me like get a lot of growth and just, yeah, and it kind of helped me in like ingratiate myself in the Boston scene, which I love as a comedy scene. So Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I traveled to Boston, I don't know. Oh, when it must have been 16, 17. And I remember I, at the time I was doing comedy, but I was like open mic level. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to an open mic uh, in downtown Boston. And it was like this cool little club on a corner and it had a walkout stage mm-hmm. and it had lights. Middle all. East? I don't remember the name, okay, yeah. but I could just remember the visual. It's got a bar. You walk in, there's this square bar in the middle of it and then further in is this you've got a traditional stage but you could tell like they either had a burlesque shows there or something Mm -hmm. because there's this walkout part of it right and i remember loving that walkout (laughs) they don't have this in austin i'm taking advantage of it (laughs) yeah and the people there were so nice so you know i i love the boston comedy scene like it was a the one thing about it that I find very, I don't know, like comparative to Austin is because I feel, I don't know what Austin comedy was like before the pandemic, yeah. but everything here feels so new. Like it's all after pandemic. Yeah. Like it's like AD, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, like after death, like yeah. it's got like BCAD here. It's like before, yeah, before <laughs> pandemic comedy in Austin and after pandemic comedy seems very different to me. Like everything yeah. seems so new. Like I was here, the first night I moved to Austin was the night the Creek in the Cave opened. Huh. Yeah, so it was like, and even back then, it's been 
like a year and a half, all the rooms that were there, like the people that were kind of in charge and running things and doing shows, completely different in that like year and a half that I've been here. So yeah. this scene just, it's almost like the Wild West, you know, like it just, it <laughs> feels so new. Yeah. And like Boston had very established rooms, established spots, kind of for better or worse, like gatekeepers or so. Yeah. So it kind yeah. of gave it a direction in terms of like, oh, there's clubs that you can like get in at and start doing consistent work for and meet people and doing feature stuff. And it's mm -hmm. kind of like, there's a hierarchy to it. And I was very used to that. And then I moved to Austin. They're just like, yeah, dude, you better grab yourself a lasso. Get what you can. Yeehaw. Like, I'm like, <laughs> what are we doing out here? I have no idea. So I was kind of figuring it out and yeah. kind of figuring out just what you're trying to do and kind of creating your own lane and kind of hustling a little bit more than I was used to comedically. So it was a big change coming out here and it took some adjustment period for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Though no, I mean, I think the Austin comedy scene before the pandemic was the way you just described the Boston. You had a channel through mm -hmm. the club and there was just one club at the time, Cap City. Okay. Yeah. And you had the small theaters, Fallout, Hideout, Cold Town, where, you know, they each, they had mics, they had showcases, they had improv sketch, uh, and then you had the Velveeta Room, which was the only real other small club. So you kind of, you knew the channels, and you also knew the gatekeepers, because right. there were definitely gatekeepers. And then because, you know, the Texas politics were, hey, open everything, uh, that brought in mm -hmm. all the new people right. and all the creek in the cave and big laugh to just be super aggressive about, here's places for you to perform comedy today because those gatekeepers they're not ready to come back out right yet and i was talking to holly hart recently um for her podcast episode and it was interesting her perspective because she she was just kind of building momentum before the pandemic and then you know since the pandemic and the reopenings and the crazy new scene she says you know there was a huge difference between the two scenes but now things are kind of leveling out and you see people from the new scene mingling with the, the folks from the previous scene and now everything is just kind of leveling out and now you have more spaces to perform. Right. And so it's a little bit more chaotic, but I still think ultimately there's always going to be gatekeepers. For sure. And it's just figuring out, you know, which gatekeeper do you want to play in the sandbox with? Right. I, I definitely noticed that. I think uh, one of the things that I kind of lament was like the same thing that I'm sure that Holly was experiencing is like when I was in Boston before the pandemic, like I was doing every night I'm doing like clubs, I'm doing like book shows and good mm -hmm. rooms and it's like overnight it just stopped. So yeah. I was I was on pace to do probably 400 plus sets in wow. 2020. Like it was I took the first 10 days off of January of 2020. I was um, doing some traveling, of course, as I do. <laughs> I've been to like LA New Year, all the stuff. So I came back. And from January 10th to March 14th was the last set I did. I was already at like 80 shows and that. It was wow. like 60-something days. I'd already done like 80 sets. And a majority of those were like clubs at like good rooms, like the good shows all around town. And I was like, I was getting booked a lot. Of, I knew a lot of like the gatekeepers and most of the people that book shows and people were reaching up out to me and I was mm -hmm. I was just kind of on this roll and then it went from like doing comedy to multiple good like shows sets a night to doing nothing for six months, yeah. eight months or whatever it was. And and that momentum just yeah. and then me being me, I was like, well, I'm gonna go out to Alaska for a while. Oh. So <laughs> during the pandemic I just disappeared to Alaska and, and <laughs> <laughs> that's what i think of yeah so like that's who i like in yeah. my mind is like oh we're not doing anything here yeah let me do some traveling like comedy was the only thing keeping me from just like wandering around the world for yeah. a while so i went into alaska for like i was only out there for like a month probably during that but in the t meantime they started um they started up some shows and at the comedy club i used to work at and then they got other people to host all those shows but it was really cool because we got to run one of the cool things about it was because these shows were like outdoors in Boston, you couldn't do anything in the East Coast. Everything was shut down. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. like Texas where they're like, a pandemic, we ain't never heard of that. Right. Uh, open everything back up. <laughs> like, the East Coast was like, everything was shut down, but you could do outdoor stuff. Yeah. And there was a room that created this, like, these tent shows, mm -hmm. and they were doing it outdoors. And they kind of had a little bit of pool because they owned, um, like, Laugh Boston. 
So they were able to get in like a bunch of New York comics that were like, uh. so um, like Bobby Kelly came through, Mark Norman, Joe List, Taylor Tomlinson, like, and we just got to like work with those, like me and a rotation of other comics got to host them. Ryan Long, not no Ryan Long, Ryan, um, he's from Canada. Ryan, uh, is it Ryan Long? Not Hamilton. No, no, no. no. Is it Ryan? Oh. I can't even remember his name, but yeah. Was so it Bob? What's up? Was no, it Bob? No, Bob. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we just called him Bob for sure. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> no. Uh, so yeah, so it was just really cool to like work with them as like me and rotation of comics, like hosting and featuring for him, and then like just watching him up close and like hanging out with like asking Mark Norman about his writing process and just like hanging it, you know. So it was kind of yeah. cool like that experience. Um, but the, the momentum definitely shut down, which was one of the reasons we moved to Austin. We moved me, Jesse, and Paul moved together. We were just like, all right, where can we go? They wanted to move down here because Joe Rogan moved down here. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I, I told my mom in 2017 when I was sleeping on my sister's couch, I was like, I should move to Austin, Texas. And I could just never. That's funny. Like, I couldn't afford it at the time. I couldn't figure it out. But I was always like, I want to move to Austin, Texas. Mostly because I hated the snow. Yeah. I'm just like, what is this snow nonsense? Six months of winter. Fuck this noise. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be here. And then when the pandemic happened, I was like, oh, well, now that I don't have good comedy spots or whatever, this is just like a good time to reset. And. So that was one of the reasons we moved out here as well. But it kind of, that, that momentum dropped, though. That momentum stopped. And then moving to a new scene with no momentum. So, like, yeah. I came from doing sets every night kind of in that flow. Because once you do, if you do, like, 30 nights of comedy in a row, you step up there and you feel at home. You know, it doesn't matter the room or the people. You're just like, oh, I'm here. I'm in my yeah. comfort zone. And then once you lose that flow and then I came out here to a whole new scene and I'm trying to rebuild that momentum and... I definitely did not anticipate how much harder a challenge that was going to be, mm-hmm. especially coming from, I don't know, like the pandemic for better or worse. You you found out a lot about yourself and and it wasn't like good sometimes in the mm-hmm. sense that like I'm sitting like I do comedy every night. Right. Like I've been doing comedy every night for like a year and a half straight. And then it's like, who am I without this thing? And so you're coming from a very different place, not only comedically but also mentally like physically you're not able to get out and do the things that you do but like mentally you don't feel the same about yourself there's kind of like i've just been inside all day i haven't done anything for all this i haven't associated (laughs) with these people there's yeah yeah so you kind of like so now i'm trying to do all that while moving to a new city and so then and so by the time i moved uh, like that kind of happened that was like the end of 2021 2020 20, yeah. yeah and then like when it got cold we couldn't do the outdoor shows in boston anymore so we couldn't really do anything so there was like no comedy there for like a couple of months and i was like man i gotta get out of here and do something and then in 2021 we're like okay we're gonna move out to austin we're gonna plan we came out to austin to visit we're like okay we're gonna move out here in a couple of months probably like april or so and i just pretty much set up my whole life to move out here and then in between my father passed away uh. So, yeah, like, right there. So now I'm just like, I, yeah, I don't, yeah. So, like, this, there's everything. And then I yeah. still end up moving here because my life was already set here. We had, like, a full thing. I'm like, uh, I, this is what I have now, you know? So I'm, like, moving to a new city away from my family, still thinking about my father passing with no comedy momentum, feeling kind of depressed and trying to build momentum in comedy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, at the time, I was like, oh, I got to grind. I got to do this. And then I'm, like, looking back, and I was like, no wonder it was such a struggle, you know? Like, when you're in it, you're just, like, you always want to, like, blame yourself. And I'm, like, one of the type of person, like, it's always, I like to put things on my shoulders. Because if I blame other things, then I don't have any control over it, right? So if I'm, like, oh, it's something I can do, I can do this to control it, then it feels like I have a say in what's going on. And things aren't just happening to me, but I'm able to kind of kind of dictate and steer things a little bit and so with all this going on and i'm just like why can't i just why can't i just make it happen you know why can't i just figure this out yeah just brush my shoulders off and just grind why can't i just you know and you always listen to those motivational speakers like you sleep i haven't slept in four years you know like you're eating is that what you're gonna do you're gonna eat today i never eat that's why you're you know what i'm saying it's like this is ridiculous mentality that we have and i'm like why can't i just grind my teeth and grit it out you know and it's like yeah, because all this stuff, like, your life is in a wreck. Like, you're not handling these situations and you're trying to do all this. And so it took me a very long time. So what I did was in 2021, 
Uh, I did what I knew best. I traveled. <laughs> so I took a trip. I went out to visit some friends in Colorado. And then I went out to Mexico and I lived in Tulum for by myself for like a month. Just kind of hung out and just kind of recentered. And I started seeing a therapist and we talked and we went through that for like eight month period or so. And then it was like, okay. It's like, all right, you don't have to just be this, like, you don't have to be this island all the time, yeah. put the whole world on your shoulders, and just, like, you carry everything all the time, you know? And it took me a while to figure that out. I was like, of course I was struggling to do comedy well. Of course I was struggling to hustle in a new scene where there's no direction, and I'm trying to figure out something I've never done before with all of these things. But when you're in the picture, it's hard to see the frame, you yeah. know? Yep. So, and then that was kind of the thing. So, but after that, you know, and I took that and then, okay, so we came back. It's like, what's next? So now it's just like, okay, it's like baby steps. What do I want to do here? What do I want to do here? Try to figure this out. Okay, let's get this done and then try to set this next thing, you know? And so then this year has been a lot better. I recently got back from this trip and I've started like, okay, getting back into the flow of things. And it feels, it just feels a lot better now that I'm back and I'm more into it and getting like, booked on a lot more shows and kind of doing that having better sets but it's all like it, it's coming together in time you know it just doesn't yeah. happen at once and no. it took me a while to figure that out i mean moving and losing a parent is are like you know two major stressors in life and like you said if your identity is wrapped up in comedy and that's taken away from you that's that's a big stressor yeah. to, to take, take on so you gotta work through all that stuff yeah, you know, but I always want to be like, I'm the man. I don't need that. Nothing yeah. phases me. Uh, like, I'm King Kong. I'll just pound my chest and get right through, you know? Uh, like, I don't know. It's just it's like, it's, uh, yeah, it's that, like, uh, well, I guess toxic masculinity is the word they use for it now, uh -huh. you know, that I'm a macho man. I, right. I don't cry. I don't do anything. Like, I got this, you know? And it's like, that's kind of, being a kid in the 90s, boys don't cry, you know? Yeah. You got to be yeah. a man, like. Stop crying, you know, figure your shit out. And yeah. I was like, ah, that's kind of how I was kind of raised a little bit. <laughs> so that's kind of how I viewed things. And it took a while to be like, no, it's okay. You know, you could cry. Yeah. You're your dad, dad. You could cry a little bit. Oh, yeah. you, can, you can figure some life out. Like, you don't have to be this person. So, right. Right. yeah, it just took a, going through that process to figure it out. But I think if you're able to get through that, you do come out the other side much better for it. And I, th I like to think I did. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing. That's, uh, probably incredibly relatable to a lot of people you know maybe not the specific elements but just the, <coughs> you know being worn down and, and how the pandemic affected people in different ways um is, is very relatable to, to just about anybody a lot of stuff was taken away from from people during that time and then you go into a new new city and everything's wild wild west because it's not the established routine that it was before right. and trying to figure out, you know, who are the, who are the people who's again, uh, this is uh, hearkening back to Holly Hart's episode. Who's, who's asked do I have to kiss? Who's the right person who's asked I have to kiss in order to get booked? <laughs> right. Yeah. Hey, who's taking my second out here? Yeah. Like, I want to get on some stage time, you know? I'm like, yeah, that's, and then, yeah, just kind of figuring those things out. And I think one of the things about here is because, at first, everything was so self-produced right after mm -hmm. the pandemic. Like, there, even, like, a lot of the shows at the Creek in the Cave were like, oh, someone else is producing the show for the Creek in the Cave. Yeah. Not like they're the ones, like, not have a booker going out looking for people. So then it just became like, all right, which one of these people? Oh, I don't like that person. I don't <laughs> yeah. think they're funny, but not, hey, what's up? You know? <laughs> right. And that's never been my style. Like, I've never really been... Um, I've never been that type of person. But I did was like, okay. Like, when I was in Boston, I never really... I was like, okay... I will just do all I will work on is just being on stage and being funny and the rest will work itself out. And it kind of did in a sense. I met the right people. The right people started reaching out to me. Mm -hmm. So I never, I don't even remember like reaching out to people like asking to be on shows or getting spots or anything like that. It just kind of like people were like, oh, this guy's funny or we need somebody that's like young and hungry and willing to do some work. And yeah. I was, they would be like, oh, reach out to this guy, you know, and I just kind of became like a go-to person in that and and then it snowballed everyone would be like oh we're seeing this guy everywhere let's get him on our stuff and right. so i never really had to do the hustling kind of part that you had to do in a new scene so and here i've been like okay how do i get a little bit better about just like being proactive like 
Because a lot of people are moving here, and a lot of people don't know who I am. I don't know who they are, so why would I expect them to know me? And if they're booking a show, there's like a million people probably reaching out, and they're living the things, and I've been traveling for two months. They have no idea yeah, who I am exactly. and where I'm at. So it was just kind of being like, okay, it's nothing personal. It's not like, they don't think I'm funny. I'll show that. You know, it's, it's not like that. It's just like, oh, hey, I'm here. Remember me. I'm funny. Like, put me on your show if you want. If not, cool, too. You know, and it kind of, and so it's kind of been working out a little bit better. Yeah. But I... I used to work a corporate job as well, so in that whole time I'm working a remote job where I'm staring at a computer screen eight hours a day and it's making me miserable. <laughs> and I'm like doing like sales and I'm just got to reach a quota and I got to talk to people on the phone and I'm just like, this sucks. Like this, yeah, like that that pit of the feeling stomach when you wake yeah. up every morning and you're just like, I hate this. I don't want to do this. Like it got to the point. And then I had an opportunity earlier this year. Um, my contract with the company ended, and they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna go separate ways." I was like, "Thank God!" <laughs> like you too, yeah. Everyone else was like, "What about this?" I was like, "I don't care. Send me the paperwork. Let's get this. Let's get this ball rolling." Like I've had enough. And so, in the past about six months now, I've been kind of just doing gig work, doing little side gigs, and kind of figuring that out. And the freedom I've had to just be able to like live my life in terms of like being able to go to a camp and work basketball with kids or just go play with my friends or go paddle boarding or being able to show up to different activities and things that I want to do that freedom has been so amazing and yeah and I just I feel like I'm in a very good place right now but it took a very long I mean it's a year and a half into Austin now I'm finally like oh I feel like I'm in a good place so Uh it it took a while to get there but we're starting to feel like really good so Good, good. Well, you know, I'm bummed that you've been traveling so much because that one time in May is the, still the only time I've seen you live. So <laughs> <laughs> I got some. Uh, I think I'm. <laughs> I think I'm going to be at the Creek in the Cave. Ariel Isaac Newman runs a show. I'm going to be on her show in November. Um, and I'm doing some other shows around town. So I've been. So I'm trying to get more to the Creek in the Cave. Whoever's yeah. reaching out to me. Anytime you got at least 10 minutes on a microphone, I'm on the way, guys. Yeah. So, yeah, let even know. I'll do any show. Like, I, I'm not one of those people that's like, well, how much are you getting paid? How much time? Like, I don't care. You ask me to do a show, let you want me to do five minutes in an alleyway for some, Yeah, I'm there. I'm there. Give me a microphone. No microphone, I'll yell. I'm there. Like, that's how I view it. How did you get involved, uh, or how did uh, Edinburgh, how did it happen? Oh. Was your, have you done it before? No, I'd never been ah. before. It was very random. Um, so uh, one of my friends, JT Stockman, he kind of told me, he's like, hey, we're going out there. Jimmy Clifford was going out there. Morgan Wan, some other Austin comics were going out uh-huh. there with some shows. And they were like, hey, do you want to come? I was like, yeah. <laughs> it was like that simple. And I'm kind of one of those people, like, if I say it, I'm just going to do it. And so, and then a lot of other things kind of happened. One of my friends was having a bachelor party in uh, Myrtle Beach. So I was like, okay, I'll go to, I've known him since high school. I was like, okay, I'll go out there. And then my sister just had a baby. So I was like, okay, well, I'll go out to Boston. So I went out to Myrtle Beach and I was there for like five days. And I reached out to some, I'm like, well, if I'm going to be here and some friends from town are going to be in, I'll just reach out to some people that book shows in Myrtle Beach, see if I can get some stage time. And uh, we go out to Myrtle Beach. And uh, so I hit this guy up. He's doing some sort of charity fundraiser show. And we show up there at this bar, like in the main strip downtown. And it's like a bunch of like, it's like a biker bar almost, like like a dive bar. (laughs) And it's packed with a bunch of rowdy people. Uh And it's so this room probably fits maybe like 100 people or 75 people or so. And it's pretty packed. I'd probably say about 75 people in there. And the host goes up and it is miserable. Everyone's talking through a set. Oh. No one's listening. He's telling the audience to shut the fuck up. He's standing on tables. His girlfriend's trying to fight people in the crowd. Oh, <laughs> this whole thing. <laughs> this whole thing is spiraling out of control. I'm like, this is what I'm going to have to do. So that's the time I'm like... And uh, and the other guy's like, okay, there's going to be the host. One comic's going to go up, and then you, and then I'm gonna, and then this other guy's going to headline in the show or whatever. And I'm like, okay, how much time is it? And the guy goes, however much time you want. I was like, what? What, what do you mean? <laughs> however much time you want. Okay. Well, now I'm like, well, now I can't go up there and do five minutes. Yeah. You know, and all my friends from this bachelor party, like twenty of them are here. And so I was like, cool. At least my friends from the bachelor party are going to be here. And then they're not even sitting near the front. They're just in the back by the bathroom playing, but they're not even paying attention to the show. I'm like, you mother. Now I'm just on this island. Like, I thought it was going to be them getting my back. They don't yeah. have my back at all. 
But I'm like, whatever. I, I'm going to be doing this thing. I'm like, okay, I'll try to do 15, 20 minutes. And, yeah, we'll call it a day, you know. So the other, the first comment goes up. I think the, the host, he was, like, muffled into the microphone so people couldn't hear him that well. Uh. And so that's why he was kind of struggling. But the first comment goes up. He gets him for about 10 minutes, and then he kind of loses him, runs out of steam at the end, and the people kind of start getting rowdy again. So I'm like, all right. Whatever. I'm just like, I'm going to go up there and I'm just going to try to keep hitting them with jokes so they don't have time to get rowdy. Like, uh-huh. I'll just keep coming yeah. at them and keep coming at them. And if they get rowdy, I'll roast them into the audience and just keep coming at them. So I go out there. I start doing my set. And, like, the beginning, I get them and start laughing. Like, it's going well. And then I'm just like, after a while, I'm just getting after them, you know? And, uh, and, and I'm starting to do crowd work. And at some point, I'm like, this room is drop dead silent like you can hear a pin drop in there in between my punchline like i got him. i'm like well can't stop now so i'm just keep hitting him and i look over and i'm at like 25 minutes in at this point so i end up doing like a half hour for these people and i've never done like a half hour especially in that room in that environment that's just so rowdy to be yeah and all my friends are just like in the back they're not even paying attention they're playing like <laughs> pool and stuff they're the ones making the noise not listening to me so it was like and it was kind of cool. It was like a confidence builder to be yeah. able to like do like a half hour in front of strangers. And afterwards, people like, oh, can we take pictures with you? What's your Instagram? Like, oh, you were so funny. Come on my boat. Like all sorts of random stuff. Like, And I was like, whoa, okay, that was really cool, you know? So I was kind of juiced up from that. So um, bachelor party ends. I go to Boston. And I hang out with, like, my family and my nieces um, my, and my meet my nephew. And he's, like, three months old. He's still just, like, sleeping like a lion, like, 18 <laughs> hours a day. Just, yeah. Yeah, wakes up, drops a deuce, goes back to sleep, you know? Like, <laughs> That's he's, what they do. Yeah, yeah, prime baby mode. I was like, yeah. cool, cool. <laughs> Carrying a little dude. So in the meantime, I reached out to some Boston people, and I was able to do some sets, like, every time I was there. And I go, and I just, like... Everyone's like, oh, Ben, you're back in town. Do me the show. And I was like, it was kind of, it kind of felt cool to be like, yeah, like a homecoming. I'm coming back. I got a little juice around. People want to. And then not only that, but I was doing the sets and I had really good sets like the whole time. And I'm just like, oh, so I did probably like three or four sets out there. And like, I met some other, some other comics, like comics that I respect in Boston that were out there like, yo, good stuff, man. And like, we're talking about comedy and like on a level of like, oh, like we recognize that you have some little bit, like. I was like, oh, this feels kind of cool. So kind of riding that high, I go up to Edinburgh. They're like, yeah, we, we get a house. We're going to be out there all month. We're running a show out there. And I was like, cool, I'll come out there for the past last like two weeks. And uh, we'll do, um, and yeah, well, you'll be able to do a show on the night and like do sets each night. And that was very interesting because Scotland has a very different threshold for what is considered like edgy comic in the UK versus like in the US, yeah. you know? And uh, even like comics here that were like, bro, you got as much edge as a basketball. Like you're, bro, you're, yeah, you're sharp as butter. Like you're not, you're. Not, and then like over there, they're like, oh my gosh, he's an edge lord. You know, like it's a, it's just so it's different vibes. And so you had to like, I had to change up certain jokes I just couldn't do because they wouldn't understand references. Like yeah, yeah. I do a joke where the punchline is a. a for tourists it's about a four but like they, they don't know what that is right. it's not a car that exists out there right so like i do a joke about talk about temperatures and i have to like change it to celsius you know like <laughs> instead of roommates you say flat mates. just like these little things that you have adjustments that you have to make yeah. and i was able to kind of figure it out quick like i do a joke about here i use a punchline where i talk about like sixth street in austin but there i was like man i gotta figure out where to use it and I tried a couple places, but, like, Glasgow is, like, apparently the sketchy place in Scotland. So, you know, so it's, like, just figuring these little things out. But I was kind of able to adjust there in a couple of days. And then I had some really good sets out there. And I watched some comics from here, the U.S., like, that are pretty good comics out here go out there and eat some dicks. Like, they, <laughs> they went up there and they bombed a couple of times. I think we all did. But, like, there's a difference when everyone is doing well. And then you go up there and bomb versus when everyone's bombing and it's just kind of like what it is, you know? And I watched some of that. I was like, oh. And so I was like, I was able to have some good sets out there and figure it out. I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. And so then I went straight from Scotland to Lake Tahoe. Uh, in California, no. Well, at some point, I was in Toronto as well. I don't, I don't know. It was, it was a blur. All these trips, it was a blur. all these we days, are blur. Keep track of you. Yeah, I just, I, yeah. So I was in Toronto at some point. I met some guys, played basketball with some kids. It was cool. We did some random stuff. Met, yeah. Anyways, went to a burlesque show with this. I don't know. A lot of things happened. Anyway, Toronto's got a great comedy scene. Yeah, did you Tor- do comedy. I did not do comedy oh, in Toronto. Funny. It was kind of a spur of the moment. I was only there oh, for like two days or okay. whatever. So we just kind of bounced in and out. But then I go to Lake Tahoe. And I needed that relaxation because Scotland killed me. Mm. Like, Edinburgh was really cool because the Fringe, if you don't know, um, a lot of people don't know about the Fringe. I knew nothing about it until I got there. So Fringe Festival 
is Edinburgh is about 500,000 people. For the month of August, when French goes on, it goes up to like 1.5 million. Like a million people That's come crazy. here. They do like 2,500 shows a day at like 250 different venues. Like there's all sorts of stuff. People are just barking in the street trying to get people to their shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so all sorts of stuff happening there. But like the bars and everything stays open till like 5 a.m. Yeah, so we had a show. Uh, so my buddy Jimmy Clifford, I don't know if you know him. He's a, yeah, yeah, yeah Jimmy. Creek, yeah, yeah, Creek, yeah. yeah, love Jimmy. Uh, Greg, dude. Uh, he was running a show called uh, his uh, show that he runs here, Bomber Get Bombed. So the way that the show works is like if you're on stage and you say a funny joke, the audience has to drink. If you're on stage and you say a joke that bombs, you have to take a drink. <laughs> so we would be doing this show and we'd be like, and like the sets would go pretty well um, most of the time. Sometimes for some people, <laughs> but like you're still up there holding a beer and even people are laughing. I'm like, I'll drink to that, you know. So like we're already kind of got a buzz on by the time you get off stage. And so we'd go out till like five in the morning Ooh. every night. Oh man, I took some years off my life. I really did. <laughs> and I mean, as a black man in America, I don't have that many. I can't be. I can't be cutting them off like that. I gotta, I gotta do better. So this is a very bold decision, you know. But <laughs> and so. <laughs> And so we would go, so we would just bark all day. We'd bark with a beer pong in the street. And then we'd be like, oh, America, does that beer pong? And if they, like, made a shot, we'd give them free tickets to the show and stuff. They're like, yeah, you guys, you know, like, are you from Texas? Do you have guns? I was like, yes, yes, we do. You know, like, that's what they think about America. I was like, you guys are good, you know? And so, yeah, so then we would just, this cycle, and we just do this every day. And by, like, the end of the trip, I was, I lost my phone, my hard drive for my laptop crashed. I came back to America. No phone, like dying slowly, like limping back. I'm like, I'm not going to make it to 45 at this point. Like, this is not good. And so I went out to Lake Tahoe, and that was really refreshing. That was really cool. Just like in the middle of nowhere, just looking at the mountains, just trying to recuperate. Yeah. And uh, one of the nights my flight was like leaving, and I had like a night in Reno or something like that. So I was like, okay, let me just look for an open mic. And I go to Reno, do an open mic. And the guy's like, oh, you're really funny. Why don't you come and do my show? I was like, cool. I thought it was going to be like a showcase. I'd do like 10 minutes or whatever. So I go there, and the guy comes up to me. He's like, yeah. I was like, I'm looking at the lineup. He's like, I think you're the funniest person here. I want you to close out the show. I was like, what? All right. Uh, you know these guys. I don't, I don't want them to hate me. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> so I'm sitting at the bar waiting to go up, and these girls are like, I'm like, oh, you guys here for comedy? They're like, no, we hate comedy. I was like, okay. Well, they're like, they're like, oh, are you going to go up there? I was like, yeah. They're like, okay, but if you're not funny, we're going to leave. Like, we're going to hate you. I was like, all right, fair. So I went up there, and I did like 20 minutes. And they're like, okay, you were funny. You want to come hang out and drink with other friends and stuff like that. But I think this whole process for the trip, and then, like, I came back and did a bunch of stuff. Like, I went to Colorado after that, and I came back to Austin. But the whole process for that whole trip was just kind of like, it was like a confidence booster, you know? Because mm-hmm. sometimes you think you're funny. And then at the point you're like, oh, I am funny. Like people think I'm funny, but there's a difference between thinking you're funny and not being sure versus being like, oh, I know I have like a solid, I can do like 15, 20 minutes in front of any audience, whether it's Scotland or like Tahoe or yeah, Reno yeah. and like be good at it. So like it was like a very big um, boost, but it just kind of happened um, in terms of a lot of things were happening and it just kind of fit perfectly in my schedule. So I was just able to make it happen and then just kept it going. So the whole thing was just, it just happened to work out and it was really cool. And I'm great, very grateful that it was able to work out like it did. Yeah. It seems like uh, <coughs> part of your formula is get out of the environment that you're directly in just to get those uh, boosts every once in a while. Yeah, I think sometimes it's it's important to take a step back like sometimes we get so caught up in the minutia of day to day, like we just were working on just this day to day thing and we're on the day to day grind, and we lose sight of the bigger picture. It's like, why do I do comedy? Like for me, I think my favorite thing about comedy is I love the f- actual process of doing comedy, of writing jokes, of being on stage, of telling them. Sometimes they bomb and how you react and having good sets and all that. And. I don't know, I think we kind of lose sight of that in terms of like, oh, we're not posting enough clips. Am I getting famous enough fast enough? You know, like all this kind of thing that you like think about. So, and then just life in general, we kind of lose sight of our bigger goals sometimes because we're so stuck in the day to day. I got to go to the laundry. I got to wash my clothes. I got to clean the apartment. And then you do it next week and you do it every day and you're just doing laundry, washing clothes and cleaning the apartment. And you lose sight of like what your bigger goals and aspirations are. And I think for me, it's like every now and again you're running so hard with your head down, you got to stop, take a look around, kind of see the bigger picture, and then like get back to it, but kind of keep that in mind. And I think that's what traveling does for me. It's a little bit of a reset and allows me to see the bigger picture and kind of remember what I'm focused and what I'm trying to do. So yeah. that's why I like to do that and just kind of 
I think it changes your perspective. The more you know, just the more knowledge you have, and it helps you know yourself more when you put yourself in uncomfortable situations or new situations. We're able to look deeper within yourself and kind of understand yourself a little bit better, and I think that helps you comedically as well. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. That's kind of my perspective on the whole thing. Yeah. So. Very philosophical, Ben. <laughs> uh, yes. Or as my brothers would call it, nerd. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Fucking loser, dude. Oh, <laughs> what, you reading a book? They're not very nice to you. <laughs> nah, I mean, we're, we're very close. I love my family. I'm so grateful for them. Like, we are really close. But yeah, we talk a lot of trash. Yeah. Yeah. My mom talks the most trash. Oh. It just, my mom roasts me. No one roasts me harder than my mom. Like, now oh, I can take like, anything. My mom's just yeah. like, yeah, what are you doing? Like, just. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're wild. Um, we're going to start winding down, and I'm wondering, is there anything we haven't talked about that you want people to know about you? Oh. Uh, You'll get a chance to do, like, official promo stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing that I haven't talked about that people would like to know about me, uh, not really. Like, I, I, I don't... I, I don't know. I don't really, like, lay myself like, oh, this is what you need to know on this person. Like, yeah. I'm... I guess the biggest thing about me is I, I, I think I just really like life. I, I, I like to say I'm on my third life right now because, mm. like, uh, when I was in Africa, yeah, that's also a crazy story. We didn't touch on this. No. But, like, just a little minor, like, uh, so when, my, when I was born, by the time I was, like, one, my parents moved to the United States, but they couldn't get visas for all the kids to come, so we got stuck in Africa. Ah. So it was, like, me and my six siblings at the time, because my little sister was born here and my adopted brother was a little bit older. Um, so we got split up into different families, and then, like, we were staying in Africa, and uh, me and my brother, he was a little bit older than me. We both got, in Africa, we got, like, Kwasheko. Um, here it's, like, malnutrition. Um, so, like, those pot-bellied African kids. And I do a joke about it. And it's so funny because, like, like I do, like, a joke about it. And people are just, like, they think it's a joke. But, like, this joke is based in, like, true story, you know? So I think it's always funny that people just think I'm joking. But I'm like, no, this is based in truth. Um, so I got really sick. And uh, my cousin, he also got really sick that we were staying with, like, like, or he was around. And, like, me and him were the same age. Like, we were probably, like, one and a half and less than two. And he, we were, like, months apart, and he got really sick, and he died. And I always oh like to gosh. think, like, it could have been either way, yeah. you know what I'm saying? He could be sitting here right now, and I yeah. died, you know? Like, it was very close, right? And so then, like, I remember when we were younger, like, if anything good, like, if we had anything good at the house, like, you imagine we get, like, a box of ice cream bars, right? <laughs> ice cream sandwiches come, like, what, eight in a box? Uh -huh. I'm like, if everyone in my family takes one ice cream bar, someone's not going to get one. There's seven kids and two parents. Uh -huh. Like, if somebody, everyone grabs one, someone's not going to get one. So, like, I remember my brother was always be like, yeah, when we were in Africa with no food, nobody was caring. I'm going to eat this ice cream bar right now. Like, be considerate, but I'm taking mine right now. Uh -huh. So, you know, like, and so, like, I always like to, like, think, like, that was my first life. And then, like, the second time was when I was 17. I was leaving football practice in high school, and a drunk driver ran a red light. Oh my just T-bone my driver's side. I'll show you the picture. I have it on my phone. Like, directly, I was in the passenger's, the driver's seat. It was only me in the car. And he hit, like, directly my driver's side oh my door. God. Yeah, so I was, like, in the hospital. I had, like, a collapsed lung, fractured sternum, like, all this stuff. Missed the rest of football Jeez. season that year. And, like, the doctor, I remember sitting there, and I was all morphined up on the bed. And my the doctor was talking to my mom. And it was like, yeah, normally, it's like, I'm surprised he's still alive. Like, most of the time when I see accidents like this, I got to explain to their parents why their son's almost dead. And it's just like these moments, like when I look back on it, I'm like, I've realized life is very fleeting. Mm -hmm. Like these, like we, we like to take things for granted. We're always thinking tomorrow's going to come. Like we're always like, yeah, tomorrow or next time or next mm -hmm. week or this or next year or whatever. But like, and then another thing that happened was in 2021, I wasn't as close to my uncle, but my dad's little brother he was, uh, my dad was 69 when he passed away in February. Then in September, after I got back from Mexico, my uncle passed away, my dad's little brother, and he was like 53. Hmm. And I'm like, man, I'm looking at these numbers. I'm like, I ain't got that much time left. <laughs> I'm on my third life. I'm looking at the, I'm doing the odds here. I'm calculating. Yeah. Like, I, I might make it to 70. Maybe, maybe <laughs> at this rate. No, no one in the family, none of the other males have made it that far. Like, we're not, oh, it's not looking that great. So I think it's just, and kind of jokingly, but at the same time, it's just like a reminder, like, life is short. Yeah. And we like to think we have all this time, but you never know. So yeah. my whole thing is like, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to spend my time how I want to and doing 
the most that I can out of all the things that I want to do and try to do all of those things to the best of my ability whenever I get the opportunity. And I think that perspective has just served me well in terms of like some people get mad when they go to a show and the mic's not right or the audience isn't psyched or they don't get enough time and they're not getting enough money or they're not getting whatever. And I don't worry about any of that. If I choose to do comedy, like I choose to put my time and show up there, then I'm going to have a great time. Because if I don't want to be there, then I just won't go. Like if I don't want to show, like that's why it's silly to me. People get mad at an open mic. Like if I don't want (laughs) to do it, I chose to be here. Why would I be here and be mad about it? Like it's such a silly perspective. So I think that's the biggest thing for me is like anything I do, I'm going to try to get the most out of it and enjoy it to the best of my ability because I'm just like, ah. You never know. And if I'm going to spend the time, whatever little time or a lot of time I have left, I have no idea. But whatever time I have left, if I'm going to spend it doing any one of the things, then I'm going to have a good time doing it. And if I don't want to be doing it, then why am I doing it? And I think I look at the same way as like the work that I do and the comedy that I do, the mics that I go to and anything else. So that's kind of just like my life perspective in terms of that is just like the freedom to spend my time, however long that is doing what i want to be doing with it and i think that's just kind of where that's like me in a nutshell it's just like yeah freedom like i'm gonna do what i want to do until i can't do it anymore and that'll be it so it's kind of my perspective on life and everything i do yeah man i'm i'm torn between saying this is the mic drop moment where we just both walk away and that's it (laughs) 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 but also i want to say you know uh, I might call this the Ben talk, you know, all caps. <laughs> Just as good as a TED talk. <laughs> or maybe I'll call it a Bob talk. Yeah, yeah. Bob speaks. Thing, yeah. you know? I'm going to have people call, around town calling you Ben. Uh, Bob. No, whatever. One of the names. Yeah, well, listen, as long as they're calling me, I'm with yeah. it. You call me Ben, Bob, just call me. Put me on a show. I don't care what you call me as long as you're calling me to put me somewhere. I'm with it. Uh, okay well we are gonna wrap up and i'm gonna ask you my closing question one word to describe your future um that one's a lot easier for me freedom Mm. that's i just want to have the freedom to do what i want when i want and then just live if i want to go somewhere do it have the money to do it be able to any idea or thing that yeah. i come up have the freedom to make it happen so my future freedom that's the word for that one yeah that yeah. one I, that one i know <laughs> <laughs> and, and i'll just uh, add color commentary that there will be no bossing around of ben <laughs> <laughs> you can try i won't even get mad i'll just be like yeah yeah, yeah. no i'm not doing it <laughs> yeah, pretty much <laughs> Uh, you can't tell me nothing. It's uh, I will say I've gotten a lot better at it now. I'm not, at least now I'm, I'm willing to like listen and if someone like, oh, that's a good point, you know? But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be very hard to, to get me off of doing what I want to yeah. do. So yeah. that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> well, that is a wrap on Comedy Wham Presents. Ben Basunga, tell us where we can find you on social media and promote any projects that you have going on. Yeah, so uh, you can find me at Ben Basunga on Instagram, Ben Basunga on Facebook, Ben Basunga on Twitter. Um, and soon to be Ben Basunga on TikTok. I'm going to break this fourth wall and get on that game. So look forward to that coming out. I post uh, little sketches, reels, videos of comedy, whatever, and uh, cool. um, where I'm at. And then you can also check out the Lonely Mans podcast. Think only fans, but lonely mans. Uh. And it's on anywhere you get podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, Apple. Um, and then we also have a Patreon. Buy some merch. We have cool lonely man shirts. Join the Patreon. Listen to the episodes. Help pay my rent. They are very funny. We name names. We go in on detailed stories. It's pretty funny. So, <laughs> yeah. So, lonely man's uh, Patreon and lonely man's on YouTube or Spotify. Everywhere you get your podcasts. And then, uh, yeah, I'm just around Austin performing as much as possible. Find me on socials, and I post all my stuff there. So Very good, very good. We hope you've enjoyed learning about how Ben got to be the comedic genius that you heard today just as much as I have. Well, genius, that's a stretch. But <laughs> 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 We're trying. <laughs> this has been Comedy Wham Presents Ben Basunga. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Mon plaisir. <laughs> oui, oui, du rien. <laughs>